We have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Celebrating Black excellence 24-7. Download The Grio now. It's free. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're sitting down with O.T. Fagneyboy. O.T. is an actor, screenwriter, songwriter, director, producer, gosh, the list goes on and on. And he's also the first person to be a guest on Acting Up for the second time. That should tell you just what I think about his talent and his career and what he has on the horizon. We've got to stay in constant contact with this guy because he is always making major moves in Hollywood. And he tends to kind of fly under the radar. So I think it's really cool that we get this time to kind of dive deep into all of these things that he's doing. His most recent project the First Lady recently debuted on Showtime, and in it, he plays Barack Obama opposite Viola Davis, who stars as Michelle Obama. He also has a recurring role on We Crashed, which is a really interesting take on what happened with the whole WeWork situation. Check that out if you haven't seen it on Hulu. And he's gearing up for another season of The Handmaid's Tale, where he plays Luke, one of the main characters that we are constantly rooting for and holding our breath for and freaking out about. So we'll catch up with him to find out what Handmaid's Tale fans can expect when that show returns for another season. Of course, we'll also talk about his other series on Hulu, Max, which is incredible. In case you didn't know, OT made history with that one when he became the first person to write, direct, compose, star in, and executive produce an episode of a TV series on a major U.S. network. OT will also share with us what we can look forward to from his huge overall deal and what he's got cooking over in the music department and other entertainment spaces. Like this guy is everywhere. We'll also uncover some fun facts about OT that you might not have known, including the fact that his whole family is kind of a big deal. His brother Ludi is an actor and film producer. And his other brother Daps is like an extremely, extremely renowned video director and producer. While his sister Temi is a WNBA player and Olympian. So talent clearly runs in the blood of this crew. And I'm so excited to share some of OT's journey through Hollywood with you here on Acting Up. Hey, OT. Gosh, the last time I spoke to you, you were actually gearing up to go into production on The First Lady. And I couldn't wait to see, you know, how you would do as the beloved Barack Obama. And now I've seen a lot of that project. And I know that you just kind of nailed it. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. Thanks so much. I'm taking that quote and running with it. Yeah. <laughs> How much, uh, you know, trepidation is there when you are cultivating a character that really exists and not only that has lived, but is living now? Well, I mean, and even more particularly, what one who's so beloved, I, I would say it's just borderline crippling the trepidation. And it, the, the, a lot unsubstantial amount of energy has to be put into kind of quelling one's anxiety around it, just so you're not kind of struck by analysis paralysis and and you actually get down to the work of trying to step closer to the man. Yes. 
And the cast of the First Lady is just incredible between Lexi and, of course, Viola Davis. Like, you had some co-stars that, you know, that we know constantly are raising the bar when it comes to their performances. And you're no stranger to that yourself with your work in The The Handmaid's Tale. Um, But I wondered what the kind of feeling was going in to be part of this particular cast, where I would think that it would be obvious that there'd be so many eyes on this project and such high expectations from everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think by the time I I started, you know, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm I'm really excited to work with, you know, such talented people, like say Lexi and Sanaya, of course, and Viola. And, you know, that's fun to me. That's, 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 to be honest, one of my biggest motivators for working is to work with people whose work inspires me. And, and I mean, I didn't actually know Lexington and I play my daughters and I didn't know their work so much. And then I came to find these extraordinary young talents. And it's just, that's so inspiring to me. And of course, Queen Viola, you know, there's just an opportunity to learn from her and, and through her process and to kind of try and create something together. What did you do to prepare to become Barack Obama? Like, what did you do to get the you know, his kind of diction, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. How did you do that? I learned this wonderful word, idiolect, um, which I didn't know before playing Barack, but it's it's a specific dialect of a specific person. And I listened to him a lot, was one of the first, the first thing was just kind of like listening. And then you just start to find, you start to find uh, patterns, you know, whether it be his voice placement, how far back in the throat he pronounces his, makes his sounds, or how does he do his B's and T's and D's, and how does he do his vowels, and what kind of melodies does he use? Does he use different melodies in different situations? And I started creating like a compendium of Barack. I have so many voice files of him, and I would just, you know, and I'd find I have certain interviews, which I, I like, like he does one with Seinfeld, and that was one of my most useful ones because for whatever reason, and this is my own personal take on it, when he was talking to Seinfeld, he, he got into, they kind of got into this kind of laddish boys joking around type energy. And for a while, I feel like you he forgot he was president and he was Barry again, messing around with his basketball buddies. And, and I took a lot from that because it, really what I was trying to do is also not just create the brack that we know but i wanted to find the brack that we don't hear what is the brack when doors are closed what would you say was there anything particularly challenging about getting his look right as in like his mannerisms the way he moves his face or his body yeah i mean the first challenge is that i i don't particularly look like him and uh, <laughs> so so that, that, so but but again you know it, it, I find it funny when when people complain and bio not about me but in other biographical movies they're like oh they don't he doesn't look like the person and I'm like well I don't know how important that is you want to get a sense of someone you want to get an energy of someone and he has a certain gait in the way he walks and he has a certain smoothness in the way he uses his hands in fact there was I studied him historically and he started changing the way he used his hands the further he went in politics I guess at some point someone teaches you don't do certain hand gestures and um of course, he's a smoker, um, and so he plays with his lips in certain ways. And you notice small little details, um, which help kind of create a, a you know, a, a fuller image. 
Yeah. You know, I saw this project a while ago. I think I've had it for almost a month. Um, so long before the public has gotten to see it. And I'm always struck by like what my interpretation of things are compared to when everyone else sees them. And what you just said about like how kind of inconsequential, you know, it, it really should be how much an actor looks like the character that they're portraying. I mean, that's what I think. Absolutely. I think the essence, the cadence, the energy of of the person matters so much more. But I was struck by some of the criticism people are giving to Viola's physical representation of Michelle Obama. You know, some of them think that mm -hmm. the way that she's moving her mouth or holding her pursing her lips was like, you know, overkill. Whereas when I saw it, I thought, wow, I'm not looking at Viola Davis anymore. Like I'm looking at this character that she morphed into and I kind of respected it as an as a skill of her acting. And so I wonder when you're playing someone who is real that we have so many real examples of as an actor, where do you draw the line or how do you straddle the line between kind of nailing their mannerisms and not coming off like um, like an impersonation, I guess? Because I guess that's the criticism. It, it's, it's a great question. And, and but to some extent, I don't know, it's going to sound flippant a bit, but I don't I don't care. Like I, I, I like I, I, I'm. I'm an artist and I'm trying to do my best expression. My, my, I'm not trying to imitate here. I'm trying to, you know, the example I give like a painter drawing a forest, you know, the painting of forest, you know, he's not trying to make a facsimile of the forest. He's trying to say, this is how the forest makes me feel. This is my experience of the forest. And, and I told my experience of, of Barack Obama and, and Viola painted this wonderful image of, of Michelle Obama, and some people are going to like some paint Kandinsky or, or Sidney Pollock or, or, or Picasso, and they're going to go, well, I don't like straight lines. Oh, I don't like, well, fine, you don't have to like it. But but one way or another, when you see Viola's performance, you're seeing an artist, and you're seeing an artist express her, her, her interpretation of a person, and I personally just love it. And it's also fine for people not to like certain things. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, with the Obamas, because they are, I mean, obviously they are such icons and they are such, you, they will forever be ingrained in our history for years to come. I'm, I'm sure there will be tons of projects where they're represented by other actors, but this really is one of the first. And so I wondered yeah. like, you know, the way that we think of a sh the, the, the impact of a show or of a moment in time, we think about it so much differently later than we do in real time. But this is right. the this is the closest to that real time that we're getting something on film as representative of them. So I wondered if there were just certain qualities, whether they're words or feelings, that like you as an artist looking at the Obamas and and being tasked to help tell their story, like what are some of the through lines that really just stick out to you as as like what will you know, endure about them? Well, I think I was particularly curious about the, the way they navigated the vicissitudes of their relationship, you know, because certainly they were both under an amount of pressure which I can't fathom. I can't bring my head around what it is, not just to lead a country, um, but also to be in some ways a representative of an entire race and not just for a country, for the entire world. I mean, it was so 
just unimaginable what they took on. And yet within that, they had two young children who were dependent on their guidance and their stability and their mental health. And yeah, that that's something, you know, which for me was just, it was beautiful and impressive to behold. And, and yeah. I love that. So Barack Obama is not the only real person that you're playing on my screen right now. You're also uh, co-starring in Apple TV Plus's We Crashed, and you are playing Cameron Lautner, who, for people that don't know, um, is was a partner at WeWork. Right. Well, I mean, in many ways, this is, you know, a slightly different challenge because he Cameron kind of represents a number of people. He's a composite of quite uh, of quite a few people. So luckily for this one, I had no idiolects to study. I had no gates to gaze at. I I had a lot more creative license. Got you. So this is a character based on a real person, but this isn't an actual real person. Yeah, yeah. This is a character based on a number of real people. Got it. So what was it like going into that? Because again, it's a story that's just kind of still, I mean, it's not over. It's very recent. It's kind of still unfolding and you're representing, I think, you know, I don't know anything about WeWork. Like when I think about WeWork, I don't think about any one person or one big, you know, kind of idea. So I think that again, your role has the potential to kind of frame the way that we think about a certain thing or entity or issue. Yeah, in, in many ways, you know, uh, Cameron represents the antagonist to to Adam Newman, who ran WeWork and his wife, Rebecca, and kind of is maybe the voice of cynical reason against him. And so, yeah, I think for lots of people watching the show, they'll find their their point of view expressed through Cameron, for sure. What made you want to be a part of that project? Well, I mean, look, it's got two amazing actors and so then there's an opportunity to work with them but 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 to be honest the number one thing because actually I, I kind of turned it down before I read it I turned it I was like oh you know because it was a kind of small arc and I just wasn't trying to work at that time and I was like so but then I read it and I was like oh there was something about this character which I thought was really fun to play and I and I had a very specific idea of who I thought he was and so in my head, I mean, I was going to have a conversation with the producers and staff before taking on the role. But to, to my head, either I could play it the way I had it in my head or, you know, I'll let another actor take it on. And, and luckily, the fine folk at Apple um, were up for me doing my, uh, <laughs> doing my craziness. Doing it your way. Yeah, exactly. Tell me, OT, when in your career did you find yourself with enough confidence or maybe agency? to have conversations like that, to say, well, I'll do it if I can do it this way, because I'm pretty sure it didn't start out that way. You know, to be honest, I, I've, from very early on, very, very early on, I had a very strong sense of what I thought, how I, of my artistry, you know, of like that, that what, I, you know, kind of like we were talking about the painters before, like what my, of all my job, what's the point of of what am I? What's the point of me going and doing cookie cutter? What's the what's the point of doing that? Like, I might as well do another job which is has more financial stability, if if not. And so, so from very early on, I've had very strong ideas about characters, and of course, it's a collaboration. But I'm okay a lot of times, and from very early on in my career, I'm okay for you to pick someone else if that's what you want. 
go pick, go. I'm sure someone's going to go and do a great version of that. So go and do that. This is what I do. And this is my interpretation. And, and let's work together and, and navigate that. But yeah. So, so to be honest, I think I turned my first job down. I mean, that I was offered maybe four or five months into my career. I think it was right after my first job, I was offered a job and I was just like, Oh, I, I don't, a very a friend of mine, Joe Martin, who's one of the stars of Doctor Who back in England, she said, you know, the the power an actor has is to say no. Like, you very rarely have the power to say yes. You, I, I can't just right now go and say, oh, hey, I want to play Hamlet on a, in a movie. You know, there's, but I do have the power to say no. And it was a bit of a revelation for me to hear that. And it was very empowering. Now, look, if you say no too much, you might end up unemployed for a long time. But but it does mean you get to hold on to some integrity and, and do things that you're passionate about. I love that. And of course, I know that you know how much I love your work in The Handmaid's Tale. And I'm dying for it to come back. Like anything you can tell me about what Luke is up to these days. And like, if anything's changed about the way that you go about portraying him this deep into this game where we're all so committed and we're so with you guys and like take us anywhere you want to go like has that opened up the possibilities of what you could do with luke well say a couple of things that i'm I'm still a work in progress you know i'm i'm still in my process and still discovering things and trying things out as an artist trying different ways different methodologies and so so yeah every year I, i do things differently in terms of a process perspective but from a luke perspective I, one of the things I find really interesting about Luke is that he likes to play it safe in many ways. And, and in many ways, this is really his, his greatest strength because it means he's very reliable. And in many ways, it's great his weakness because he won't take the chances necessarily to make profound change. And I think this season, we see him really faced with the limitations of playing things safe. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. You know, I, my sister just started watching The Handmaid's Tale like a month ago after years of me (laughs) (laughs) telling her to do this, right? So now she calls me with all her like questions and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let me back up. And in revisiting the early seasons, what kind of gets me now is Luke's like, of course, unwavering loyalty to his partner, but also just... I kind of have a new sense of sympathy for Luke, where I think my first run watching this, of course, so much of my sympathy was reserved for the women on the Mm. show and what they were enduring. But now it's like Luke as a man after everything that he's endured and hoped for and sometimes, you know, had successes at like, God, this guy's heart has to just be so torn up and bleeding. And there's so much selflessness there. And there's not really like an example of a man that I can think of that, that you could have pulled, you know, pulled that from, like, I don't see a whole lot of examples of really obvious selflessness in male characters. And I wondered if that was, I guess, intentional, or even if it's something that you've kind of realized yourself about this character. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I mean, first of all, to say that, you know, I am of service to the writers. And so, you know, first of all, this, you know, it's the writers, number one, are incredible writers who create these characters and these themes. And and I, I one of the things that I personally love about Luke is that he 
in some ways, he's such a typical guy, suburban dude. And in many ways, he's a man you rarely see on television. Um, I love that when he tries to shoot the gun, he fumbles the, the bullets. And not because he's a dweeb or a geek, it's just because he's just a man. And I love that his best way of getting his trying to get his wife back isn't putting a gun on his back and climbing over. It's to go and send a petition to the, the and then to get turned back. And, you know, like, and so, I, and I'm, so I, I'm fascinated. It's very, a subtle uh, archetype in a way, but, but, it, but a really profound one. I think an, an important representation of, of, yeah, men and, and, and lots of people who are refugees, you know, that it's one of the things I, I wish was in some ways more explicit or was that, we talk about immigrants coming into our country. We talk about refugees. You know, there's refugee crises going all over the world. And to know that that's what Luke is. Luke is a refugee and he's being supported by the state. And, and we think that's right. We think that should be happening. Wow. That was, yeah. Wow. That's a lot to take in, my friend. Um, lastly, <laughs> I, and I just, I just get anxiety thinking about next season of Handmaid's Tale, honestly. Like, no show is in me like that, you know, like right in my brain where I can't help but dream about it, nightmare or dream, depending on the night. It's just like worked its way into my like brain cells and I'm so nervous right. about it. <laughs> <laughs> like there's so much hinging on this. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, it will push those anxiety buttons and there's more of that coming. Oh gosh, can't wait. Cannot wait, like a masochist. Um, what else are you working on? Like, what are you? What are you up to? Where are you? Are you here? Are you there? <laughs> yeah, so I'm right now. I'm I'm, I'm shooting Handmaid season five right now. I'm in Toronto right now. Um, but um, I'm also I wrote and directed a show called Max M A X X X, which is on Hulu right now. And off the back of the success of that, I've been given the opportunity to develop some more projects as a writer and director, as producer. So. Uh, I'm really passionate about stories from the continent of Africa and its diaspora. And so I've got two projects, one with my brother Daps, who is a loaded music video director and in many ways, maybe the most culturally influential African born director of a generation. And the other one is with my brother Luti, who runs Britain's most successful black owned production company. And so we've got two projects which are from the continent. I'm really excited about them and hopefully I'll be able to talk about them in specifics soon. Yes. Oh, I can't wait for that. And we love Max. I love that. If you guys are not tuned into that, it's on Hulu. Um, it's really cool. And OT's at the helm. That was kind of your baby. I remember talking to you about that. Yeah. A while that's right. ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was writing and directing, producing that. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a silly comedy, but I think it's got a lot of heart and kind of deals with some philosophical issues, which I think are interesting. So you're just working and juggling and jumping from one hugely impactful project to the next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, it was so nice to speak to you. So nice to yeah, see you. Um, I think you're great in The First Lady. I can't wait for everyone to see the whole thing. Thanks so much, as always, for your time and your candor. We love you so much here at Acting Up, and we cannot wait to see what's next. Thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. Before we go, I just want to remind all of you listeners that we have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Free movies, free shows, and so many free channels. Find us on all your devices wherever you use the internet. On our new mobile app, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, and an over-the-air network. 
We even have a Black Podcast Network coming soon. Download The Grio now. It's free. The Grio, Black Culture Amplified. Thanks so much for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and concerns to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod. <laughs>